All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. Back with another episode, and I have an ad playing on my other screen. Okay, we're good here. I was like, what was that? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Folks, Right. Folks, as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Fold, fresh off of a, uh, a heater day on the Great oh. Lakes here. Yeah, and um, it probably won't happen Saturday because they're calling for like 35 mile an hour winds for my tournament coming up. But yeah, it was it was a good day to be out there solo and actually catching some fish instead of watching other people catch fish. It's um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, but to you, right? You just got home from the Ike charity tournament, which you participate on Ike Live, but also won like your 700th derby of the year on the kayak side. So big congrats to you. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun because it was kind of interesting. Cause it, like being that it was a charity tournament, I kind of was just going in there. Like there's no money on the line. Let's just go have fun. Like brand new lake. Let's go figure it out. And uh, it was super interesting. I don't want to talk too much about it because the focus point of our, our, our show today is our guest, Mr. Carl Jacobson joining us but uh but really fast to give folks the lay down uh i'm gonna try to salvage what's left of the sd card because i had a failure so i don't know how much clips i have from oh, the tournament. No. yeah brutal i got off the water and saw the gopro wasn't running and i was like oh lovely because there were some fire clips it because i ended up frogging all day long was back in this massive pad field no was it was raining and stuff too pouring the whole day like the the weather we're gonna talk about it today but like that's like the weather you want in the fall where it sucks yeah. From like a like, I mean, if you have good rain gear and stuff like we do with Blackfish, it makes it a lot easier. Hmm. But the days that are miserable from a weather standpoint are the best days fishing in the fall, which yeah. we're gonna we're gonna touch on here. Throw uh, it all off the book in the fall because the fish will do weird things like eat a frog in lily yeah. pads. When the water's probably fifty nine degrees and it's downpouring rain and blowing eighty. So it just it, throw it up, throw the book away. It was still sixty five. It was still sixty five degrees and there was bluegills popping everywhere. And I saw oh, that, that on Saturday. Yeah, I had, I had gone out and tried to graph and find them out deep. And uh, they were still out in like 30, 35 foot chasing gizzards. And I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, kill myself trying to target these fish. And uh, went up just to test the pads a little bit. First two flips caught uh, like two, three pounders. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go, you know, relax now for the rest of the day on Saturday. And uh, went out with, uh, I had found actually some foundations and rock piles I had fish out of on the way back in. So I'm like, all right, I'll start there in the morning. Uh, cause I didn't figure like a frog bite would be on that early. And, uh, I start out bringing two graphs with mega live out in the kayak, you know, loaded with electronics and ended up within like the first hour and a half leaving to go frog and frog for the rest of the day, turned off the graphs and just caught them on a frog all day yeah, long. And, uh, fun. had 93 inches caught probably 25 fish had about 30, 35 bites. Like it was a lot, uh, which apparently is like abnormal for that lake. Um, and ended up winning, which I was already going to be on Ike Live. I was already heading to the studio to be in show. And they were going to have the winner on. And it just so happened I saved him an extra microphone and won the thing. So it <laughs> made for an interesting show, which if you guys have not listened or watched yet, I highly encourage you to because if you've been paying attention, well, I think even if you have not been paying attention, you've probably seen <clears throat> the whole walleye cheating scandal. Well, uh, for that show, we had the tournament director on and Ike Live. So that was a really interesting conversation. 
So go check that show out. And then, uh, Andy, I think last order of business, we actually, for folks, if you have not seen yet, our new show on the Serious Angler Podcast Network, The Lure Lab, is out. First episode is out on A-Riggin, which is perfect timing for the fall and uh, really is going to kind of invest in what we're talking about here, especially for us in the north. I mean, with smallmouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what? Um Go check that out. Uh, the new uh, show, all the social media and the handles where you can listen or watch is down below in the show notes. But uh, Andy, I think without further ado, let's get our yeah. guest down here. Yeah, we should today. bring Carl on. That's right. He had a long drive, which we'll dive into yeah. here in a moment, but we don't want That's to right. keep him waiting. So yeah, without further ado, Mr. Carl Jacobson. What's going on, dude? Hey, boys. How you going? Good evening. <laughs> or we're glad to uh, to get you on here. We appreciate you taking the time because we're sure you're probably whooped after uh, the past what couple weeks you've had out out west. Yeah, I've been. Uh, well, I haven't really stopped. I've gone from uh, the final two elites. Went left here. I left here in. Uh, I just looked. I think it was the second week in uh, August, and I haven't stopped since then. <laughs> Today was my final day on the road. So left in early August, fished Lake Oahe Elite Series event, went across to the Mississippi River, finished the final event there, made the Bassmaster Classic, um, drove from there across to Idaho where Kayla's family lives. Um, I, I draw Montana and Idaho elk tag. And uh, <clears throat> we went up to Priest Lake, fished with uh, Kayla's family, camped on an island up there, something that we've done the last couple of years, been pretty cool. Did a bit of fishing and a bit of hanging out and then uh, went pretty hard on the hunting and got into the Idaho elk with Brandon for a couple of weeks in the mountains, um, came back, did some fishing around um, north Idaho there on a lot of the lakes this fishing was just phenomenal so it was actually really hard to go hunting <laughs> and then uh <laughs> we end up going back uh out help tried to help brandon get his elk um me and another guy dan went across to montana and i ended up shooting my very first elk with a bow and uh filled the freezer got that done came back oh, went, yeah. went fishing a bunch more and then uh drove from uh idaho to Tennessee the last three days, which was 33 hours of driving through that three days. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> Got home today, unpacked, and <laughs> home for a little bit. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had to get him home in time for this podcast. So we're <laughs> well, for folks watching or listening, if, if you don't know Carl's grind yet, the fact that he got home today which I feel bad. I didn't even know you're getting back today. I thought you like got back this past weekend, and he's on the show already. I mean, that says that says a lot about yeah. the uh, the grind, dude. So we appreciate it. Totally. But uh, now you get to enjoy your. You know, you know, your, I saw your walleye fishing, and obviously you have the elk. So you got your own little Northwest surfing turf back home in Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's the. That's what I, I you know, that's one of my, like, tournament fishing is uh, my passion and it's something I love to do, but I always think that um, you need to bring it back um, a lot of the time to, um, like, where it started and what it's, like, truly about, and that's providing and being able to, um, you know, provide for your family and, and eat fresh fish and, and, and elk and deer and things that you're able to do, and that really brings the the real side back to me, not just that continual competitive side um, because it's such a natural um, sport. It's a natural 
um, thing that you can do and it's how it started for me. So I'm always like um, conscious of like making sure that I, I don't, it's not just all about that. It's about bringing home a fresh feed of fish and be able to eat it and, and provide for your family. I think it's a, that's an important part of keeping, you know, everything intact. Yeah, you're keeping the fire burning on the uh, the passion side of thing because tournament fishing, I mean, people know it can get very stressful, especially at your level when that's your career. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's the same thing to be said for like an athlete. Like when an NFL player gets to go play backyard football at Thanksgiving with his family, that's probably keeping the fire burning in terms of the passion of why you do it versus because you get so caught up, especially with how much you travel. You, know, you, you literally just said it, how long you've been on the road. I mean, yep. it's you'd be running and gunning for so long and forget, you know, why why you started in the first place. Which, which is a great segue to how we start the show with everyone that's new is like, and and this is one a story that I've always been intrigued about is how you got your start. So kind of like for, for everyone watching listening, take us back to, to day one and who introduced you to fishing, how you got started in the first place. Um, I've definitely I've got a similar story, but I guess it's a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> My family on uh, my my direct family, my mom and dad and stuff, they weren't into fishing like that. It was actually more my granddad, um, which is similar to people's story. But for me, um, you know, we would go on a holiday, whether it was on a beach. We There's an island in Australia called Fraser Island and you, you cross on a barge and then you can four-wheel drive up the sand and it's very... Uh, it's it's sort of pretty wild you know you just tent camp and you have a fire and that's where the camping and the fishing and stuff a lot of that passion sort of came but um on my family side they love exploring doing stuff on the beach and i was like i think probably four or five and for some reason i would get a fishing rod and just fish off the beach and do it for hours on end and not catch anything and everyone would try and get me to come and play and do stuff and I would just sit on the beach with this stupid amount of patience and my, everyone would just be like what is he doing and then I caught a fish doing that a flathead which is a saltwater fish in Australia and uh, I ran up the beach with it and I showed about 50 campsites either side of our tent knocking on people's tent to show them this fish that I caught <laughs> and uh, it was just sort of started from there and uh, and it's just I did a million different sports. I was very competitive, you know, in everything that I did. I wanted to win, whether it was rugby, um, table tennis versus my family. It was like to the death. Like every single competition was as, as hard as you could get. And uh, But fishing was just always there. No matter what I would – no matter what sport I would get into, how good I would get, I would always come back to fishing. And uh, then at about 14, when I was 14, I thinking about – 99 2000 tournaments started bass fishing tournaments started coming to australia and that's when i saw that and got to uh see a little bit of like i could actually mix my real true passion for fishing with competition and when those two collided it was over for me i knew this is what i wanted to do (laughs) dude that's sick i i totally there's a picture i can relate to your story of running around the campsite uh when I, I think I was like four or five years old. This is my fiance's favorite picture. I, that was back when the like the older life fest, and I had like the one of the the straps going in between my legs up yeah. to the, the life fest. And we were at the St. Lawrence River, and we brought home like this two pound smallmouth to eat. And I'm running around showing everybody that I caught this bass, and I was like, 
but now today I probably would hit myself for keeping a small mouth, but you know, <laughs> yeah. here, we, here we are. But that's uh, where you've got to be. You got to remember those times and remember those things when kids do it. Like a lot of the time, like they don't, you don't need to, you know, exactly teach them catch and release at right. the start because I never knew that, man. I, I killed every fish I ever caught until someone taught me when I was about 14 about that time that you don't have to do that. But like right. at the start, when kids get into it, it's a great way to show them to take it and not waste it and eat that fish and stuff like that, whether it is whatever species it is, I think it's a good thing. And especially, like you said, like that was one of the coolest parts, showing people and people being so excited for you as a kid, yeah. congratulating you. Yeah. I, honestly, you make a good point though, is it's probably more important to teach them the fact of you can provide for yourself before you go and teach them about catch competition and or catch and release and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It's got to yeah. start from scratch. You know, I think, that's one of the things that I'm like, I have a little daughter now. She's eight months old and I, I know everything will always work out, but I always think about my story or other people's story. And like, you know, she, she we, I remember when we got our first boat and it was a wooden boat with one bench in the middle, had two oars. And I thought we were rich. I was like, no one has this. Like, how, how did we get this? I can't believe we have a boat. And, uh, and, you know, but like you started digging worms, trying to catch crayfish, stuff like that. So like that's the sort of thing I want to teach, you know, Riv and stuff growing up rather than getting in my $80,000 bass boat off the scratch. You know, there's there's a there's a little like medium in between there that you got to remember. Yeah. You, you're going to take her to uh, when Chickamauga is tough or are you going to go in the backyard 10-pounder yeah. <laughs> pond? <laughs> yeah. yeah, bluegill, start with bluegill, I think. I yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah until have, that 10-pounder uh, eats the bluegill, yeah. she's going to be <laughs> well, Yeah, exactly. That's, that's <laughs> or scared, or yeah. scared. That's the thing that happens to any of us, like with lure fishing or something. Something like crazy like that happens and then it opens mm-hmm. your eyes and then you're sort of hooked. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, you'll get her hooked on that and you'll have your first female Bassmaster Classic champ. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're gonna have. So we have a good question here from uh, David Zhang. He's from Angler's Channel. Um, and he asked, uh, we said, so we know you obviously started fishing in Australia. Did you start, did you ever start hunting in Australia or is that something that started when you came here? No, I, uh, I hunted pretty much most of my life in Australia. Um, I had a few different different things that um we had but one of my sort of mentors a guy that took me under his wing a little bit he would take me red deer hunting and that's actually very similar to elk hunting it's probably probably australia's version of elk hunting i guess the red stag and uh he you know i've just been lucky over my life a lot of people have uh, probably a similar story with fishing i had mentors that sort of just i was a kid and they took me all the guys would take me because i would be so enthusiastic and so passionate and uh, i just wanted to just see stuff and be out there and i knew all the guys like knew more than me and were doing cool stuff and for some reason they'd let me tag along and i would go as hard as i could and uh lance um his name was and he took me red deer hunting uh ever since i was a kid and that's sort of where i got a passion for sort of deer but we have a lot of um feral game in australia so there's a lot of there's a lot of animals that aren't supposed to be there, feral pigs, foxes, all of these things that have been introduced. And, like, my uncle has big farms out in the outback, like hard, hard country, and uh, there's a lot of, like, hunting out there just to keep the predators and keep the things down from, like, eating all the crops. So there was that kind of hunting, and then there was, like, 
the deer hunting and stuff like that as well. That's cool. So kind of like similar to the south with the pigs. Yeah, real crazy pig numbers. Um, you know, there's about everything. There's no Australia's a little bit different. I wish it took um, some of the American concepts under under its wing a little bit because um, it's just open season all the time. There's not like hunting season, fishing season. Like basically, if those animals are on your property, you can hunt them year round, which is kind of cool. But like, it's world class hunting. We have fallow deer. Um, chittle axis red deer all these different um, species and then we have water buffalo up north we have scrub bulls that the hunting is phenomenal in australia and if we marketed it more to like america and stuff like that it would you know we would get a lot more people coming over and hunting because aussies like their dream hunt is to come and elk hunt in the u.s or whitetail hunt and uh but it's promoted that way and we find it easy to come from Australia and come to the US and hunt. It's sort of a, a easier um, sort of path where and for an American to go to Australia, they're sort of like, I talk to them all the time. They're like, I want to do it. I just don't know where to start. So mm. if Australia like marketed that, we, we have phenomenal fishing and hunting. So it's more of just like a resource type of thing? Like there's not like the information available yeah i think they just need to promote it more and not see it as like they see a lot of the um things as more a pest you know like because they're not a native species like everything's introduced but instead of just they're never going to get rid of them and they're there for good and they're almost they've been there so long now they're almost a part of australia so i think just take it under and then like protect it and and look after it and then manages it as a resource like what you do they do here and um and you could see tourism and hunters and americans coming in and enjoying it like and spe- like our fishing i'm about to leave for australia on the 20th of october so i've only got a couple weeks back here and i'm heading back to australia for a month and i'm fishing the barramundi tour um for nine days and like any American in the past that has been able to come over and catch one barramundi, they literally like book it in for the rest of their life. Whatever they can do, they want to get to Australia and feel it because it's like fishing for largemouth bass, but on steroids. It's insane. You know, 50, 60 pound fish that just bite swim baits, bass gear, and they just, it's, it's insane. And so I want to, you know, I'll, I'm always wanting to like promote that and and show now that the things are opening up and everything's getting back to normal. Um, Gussie's actually coming over and fishing with me. So me and oh, Gussie, no way. yeah, me and Gussie are fishing as a team on the Barramundi tour. And so, oh, geez. yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty insane. I cannot wait to see him hook his first barra. <laughs> are you guys going to be filming that? Yeah, I'm going to, we're going to have like all, all my stuff. We're going to GoPro it. And then, um, sort of hummingbird and a lot of guys are all rapala getting behind us and then uh we've got like a full boat and truck set up and it's like a nine day tour three different lakes and now me and gussie are fishing as a team so it's gonna be awesome (laughs) speaking of gussie we got we're having gussie on for our friday show oh cool you're getting a squad on yeah you'll have to so we we leave here pretty shortly (laughs) dude that's awesome yeah. That'll be sweet. I can't wait to uh, see the content you guys post from that and hearing about it. Mm. Um, well, dude, so for today's show, I mean, it's October now. Uh, you just got back from a hunt. Um, I have serious FOMO because our bow season started here in New York, and I just couldn't fit it. 
any hunting in the schedule because I hate I hate I mean I'm sure you're the same way I hate to go into something you know half prepared uh, so yeah. I didn't want to put the time in for hunting this year if I wasn't prepared yeah uh, but there's those people like I know Matt Airy is one that talks about it every year where he's like as soon as the last elite series third was over the poles are put away it's all deer hunting so like now that you you've kind of been going a lot of hunts the past couple of years are you turning into a guy that puts the rods away and starts hunting or are you still going out fall fishing? No, I definitely, I'll always fish. You know, I, um, you know, in, I've been up since uh, we got back from Mississippi river, headed across Idaho. I was fishing, I was fishing on Lake Priest and then I got back and I fished Coeur d'Alene and other lakes around Idaho and then hunted for a bit, came back, fished again. So, um, you know, I definitely, in the past, I've probably done too much because um, I didn't – I wanted to hunt, but I was still trying to learn so much that I would just fish and then the next year would roll in and I felt like I was almost like still a little – I was almost burnt out going into the following year. So I had to, I, I had to just back off a little bit. Um, but when I was trying to learn so much, I almost had to do that. And so – um, we compete so much through the year. The fall is the time to test all new baits, test some new. It's a great time to test new techniques because you can about catch them on anything. You can catch them up shallow, deep, middle, grass, you know, top, whatever you want. And so um, you t- if you don't fish in the fall, you roll into the next year and you've got the same bait, same technique, same things happening ready for the next year. And um, you don't have that new thing added to your arsenal because it's so hard to add that thing during the year. Um, I used to try and add those things during the year, and I think that's a mistake. Um, When you start putting stuff on your deck leading up to a tournament that you don't have full confidence in and you haven't caught a, a thousand fish on, that it should not be on your deck going into an event. And and I used to, sometimes used to look down at my deck going into an Elite Series event on a lake that I haven't fished that much, and I'm like, all of these lures are, like, pretty new to me and the lake, and I've only caught a few. And I, I, I've seen that as a mistake in in my sort of leading up because I always – so now I tend to have maybe one, maybe two – that I've got there that I know it could be something different, but I've got the the confidence arsenal on my deck that I know I've caught tons of fish on these baits and I'm of catching them during that practice or or not even that, just going into day one of practice. I would look down, I'm like, I've never caught a bass on that, and it's on my deck going into practice. I'm like, that's kind of crazy because I'm trying to test it. And it's rarely, rarely worked for me. So I've gone back to like this is the testing time for the year and then you can add something to your arsenal going into the following year that hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish on. So kind of like yeah. from a, a learning phase, but like say how somebody won something the previous year in an event, something that you might not be as proficient in as you want to be, like this is the time of year for you to go work on that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, I actually got it. I watch UFC. UFC is kind of my sport that I like to watch outside of fishing and hunting stuff. You know, guys like football or whatever, but UFC is my kind of thing, boxing. And a UFC guy a couple of years ago, he said that when he would go into a training camp, going into a fight, it's like an eight to 10-week training camp, they would 
try new techniques or this new move that they were going to make in that training camp. He's like, that's the biggest mistake that he's that had ever made because the 10 week training camp is just dialing in all of your like arsenal of what you know and you're confident in and you're good at in that 10 week period. And then going into the fight, the off season and the off period, when you don't have a fight, that's when you can learn and train and learn the new techniques and start to add something. But in that 10 week period, that's not the time to add something to it because you have to be so well trained on it. And, that, and I, I listened to that and I was like, man, that's kind of what I'm doing. And I and I, I changed that. Now when I look down at my deck on the Mississippi River or wherever I'm at, I'm like, I've caught hundreds of fish on that frog. I've caught hundreds of fish, thousands of fish on that jig, that top water, that bait, that bait, and they're all on my deck. And I know when I swing on that, I'm going to land them, majority of them. When they bite it, I know how they bite it. And then, and then when... Um, things get squirrely during the tournament and you haven't caught them, you're not randomly throwing stuff that you don't know. You're throwing stuff that you know you've been bit on so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And you I think that'll resonate with a lot of people right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll say too, your uh, place of housing, right? Tennessee, you made a really good choice there because you have all the different dynamics of lakes around the area for in the fall, you yep. can go and test out all these different techniques that you're not accustomed to using because you have Highland Reservoirs, TVA. There's even some natural lakes around there, I think, yep. too. Right? Yeah. So you have everything right there at your disposal in order to help grow yourself as an angler even more, which is probably yeah. hard at this point. But yeah. No, you no, you can you I'm I'm not even at fifty. I'm I, I'm not even at fifty percent of the angle yeah. that I can be. I, I know for a fact, like I'm just nowhere near where I need to be to be like in that Brandon, that Polinick, Lester, Wheeler, all of those guys that you just. It's just that's just another whole level to get to there, to where and, and where you just. They're just going to catch them every single time, no matter where they go. But there's a reason so many anglers like Brandon Lester, who I have said is one of the best all-round anglers for a lot of years, he just catches them. But he's so good because of, I think, where he lives around in Tennessee. You literally become the, one of the best finesse fishermen you can get. You can you can do so many different finesse techniques on clear water lakes, on bluff walls, on natural reservoirs, then you can go and flip grass, punch grass, flip trees, lay downs, fish tail water, tail races, fish ledges, um, glide bait fishing, big bait stuff. I mean, it's literally endless and it's all within two hours drive of here. You can pick and choose of where you're going to go and it's, and, we, and it's got unbelievable smallmouth, spotted bass and largemouth. So there's a reason Andy Morgan, Wesley Strader, <laughs> Brandon Lester, um, you know, yeah. Buddy, all of these guys and are just in in this area and why they catch them from one end of the country to the other because when they see it, they're like, oh, this reminds me of here, <laughs> of a lake yeah. that's close to them, you know, but it's 2,000 miles away. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you take a lake, you know, that's most known around your area like a Chickamauga that gets 1400 boats on it a day becomes extremely tough. I mean, that, yeah. that helps shape you as, especially even like a tournament angler, like yourself, things get very tough at times. 
Whereas us in the north, there, there's not too many tough times up here when it comes to fishing. Yeah. So when things get yeah. tough, we start spinning out like crazy. But for you guys, like, oh, I can make this quick adjustment. You know what I mean? So that's that's not you get yeah you get used you get better at grinding a single bite out, which can make a big difference. That's that yeah. you you're not you're not like hey how come I'm not catching them? You're like oh this is about typical you know haven't had a bite <laughs> yeah. in three hours. That's that that is that is pretty typical on a lake on a weekend where there's a bunch of boats you know and and I get frustrated at Chickamauga because it is one of the greatest lakes in the country, but like the pressure is just unbelievable. And sometimes I want to take Kayla out there and catch her a bass. And I'm like, I have to fish like I'm fishing the final day of a classic right now to get a bite. So so Kayla can catch one. Like I have to be so dialed in to be like, there's there's this happening and this bait and it has to all be perfect for Kayla to catch a fish so it's it's frustrating like that but it also makes me a lot better angler because I have to fish like that on a on a daily yeah. basis to get a bite yeah I mean this is the time of year though down there right to uh go pick up those big glide baits and take your crack at a giant isn't it yeah it's oh yeah now's unbelievable for the glide they won't be as big as what they are like I like the pre-spawn leading up to the spawn um that's when they'll be the heaviest and that's when you can run into what happened to me here leading after day one on the glide it, it it was a collision of getting that right warm water but um a couple of years ago i led the coaster on gunnersville in the fall seriously tough fishing almost impossible to get a bite and i had 20 22 pounds on day one and was in the lead and caught them all on a glide so right right now is a really good time to um to learn the glide bait for sure because those fish move up shallow they start eating shad and it's a it's that and they're trying to feed so um they've seen so many different baits all year and then you can put sort of a new bigger bait in front of them and get a bite right so for somebody that is one just starting out with fishing or for has finally have some windows open where they can go out fishing this fall and they're trying to start learning because it's 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 a different it's a very interesting time of year like when you find them you're on them and you're going to stay on them typically for a little while but it can also be very confusing when you just start out it's like your first fall or two that you're getting out to really bass fish um for someone in that situation you're putting the boat on the water what are some of the first things that you're looking for during the fall to try to get on pace to find some fish um, pretty much you're looking like at the start, it's whether you've got that cool weather in at all. Like you've got some cool nights and a little bit cooler days. Like I haven't been in Tennessee, but like looking at it, it's still 75. I got out of my truck. It was freezing when I left Idaho and it was like t-shirt shorts weather, um, when I got here. So, um, that is good for the frog fishing, um, and having some cooler nights. But if, if it's still stinking hot, through the you know october it's probably going to be really tough because you're going to have fish still deep you're going to have fish starting to move shallow and you're going to have fish sitting in the grass lines or on laydowns or that or some sort of secondary um spot but for me like um for chick here i'll go to that like the 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 first spot that they're going to move to before they go into the back, that's probably probably the best 
starting spot um, rather than looking for them out deep. The ledge fish have basically been just hit for so many months. So you're going to have some scattered, super tough fish out there. And then it's going to be still warm up shallow. And so the fishing isn't going to be that good up shallow. So generally they'll go to that like eight to 10 foot piece of structure, um, a shell bed, a, a grass clump in that they're, they're out of the 20 plus and they're going to go to that next spot. And that's where you'll, you generally will find, you know, your best um, group of fish before the fall bite really hits. If you're, if you're sort of in between and you're struggling both, that's where they're going to be in that mid-range. If you're getting the cool nights, cool mornings, and the temperatures drop back through the day and you're starting to see the water temperature drop, that's when you're going to find fish shallow. Um, you're going to find them frog fish or you're going to find them chasing bait. And sometimes, usually, it's little bait, it's tiny bait, and that's where it can get tricky as well that the best bet in the fall when it gets cool is put a little paddle tail swim bait on um i use the x-zone swammer the 3.5 put it on a ball head jig head on a spin rod and and just cover ground just move and throw it as far as you can and just wind it back um for for a beginner that's your number one bait that's going to catch fish through the fall is a small paddle tail you, you cannot beat it because it covers ground um, it, fish are schooling, they're up shallow, they're in mid-depth, you can't even follow them, you don't know where, they're not going to be set up on one spot and that bait is just going to track across, you can sink it a little bit deeper, you can wind it across the top, you can throw it into a school that's blowing up and they will 100% eat a little paddle tail. And so um, the little of the bait, the little of the paddle tail, if you're seeing some big shad, go a little bit bigger. Um, but that's your number one bait in the fall. Put a paddle tail, swim bait on a jig head, on a spin rod, throw it as far as you can and roll it back. You'll catch bass. Spoken like a guy from the north. That technique's like creeping down this way. You know? yeah. like, <laughs> it's not known on these big bass lakes in the south as much, but like giants get caught that way every day down here doing it now. It's, but, you know... That when we fished Chickamauga, was it last year or the year before when Lee won um, on the frog? Like, yeah. it was jo you saw literally hundreds of bass every single day just blowing up on bait, and the bait was just tiny little mirror looking shad, and they were so hard to catch. And oh that was the kind of thing that, you know, you're on Chickamauga with giants, but like when they get clued in on that, man, they get tough Good to luck. catch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, that was one thing that this past weekend uh, at the Ike's charity event on Naka Mixon that I could see and I learned that there's alewives and there's gizzards and that if you find them schooled up and chasing those, those fish out deep, it's like good luck. Like you yeah. better find something else where if you see that happening, when they, when they get locked onto the real thing and there's that much bait, I mean, you're better off just turn around and find something different. You either can try the only the two things you got to do there is like match the hatch as best you can. So put like a little tiny fluke on a little tiny jig head and match the color, make it transparent and like slow wind it with like no action and a little twitch here and there and just get them to flush that one bait. An Alabama rig will work in that situation too with little tiny baits on it. And then your second friend when they're like that is speed. And that's, that's the biggest thing that people don't do is they see them blowing up, they see those fish and they 
get a slope. They roll it through there and the fish don't touch it. But you cannot wind fast enough with a spin rod to get it away from a bass when they're chasing it like that. And that's how you can get a reaction bite where they just they can't help themselves. A fish breaks out from those balls and takes off and that speed will get a reaction bite, get one to peel out of that school and eat it. And so um, if they're not biting slow roll, try a real fast burn and kill or just a straight burn and you'll generally get a couple to react. That That is something that I had a really hard time learning. And I actually learned it on Chickamauga with my buddy Caleb Bell, who lives down by the dam. And in the north, you know, one of the things that we're talking, especially with that swim bait, it's something that you super slow reel. Like exactly yeah. like what you were just talking about, especially like on bottom or if you're up shallow, keeping it up high. But and that there's times where like if they're like, if you work it too fast, you're never going to get bit. Where it's down here and I went out fishing with him and he's like, chonking this sucker in and i'm sitting there i'm like like i'm sitting back there creeping he goes dude you're working it way too slow yeah what are you talking about and as he like as he's telling me to work it faster he's like burning it in smokes one i'm like i'm like are you serious right now i couldn't i didn't believe him for a second after that goes 10 fish to zero on me i start burning the sucker (laughs) in and i'm like it was like eye-opening too and it's not even just that it was like trapped so it's like everything like yeah everything will yeah and that's and there's a mid there's a medium range. It's usually like creep it, and then there's like this medium range from that all the way to fast that will just never get bit. It's like usually dead slow or so fast you think that one can't even catch it, and they'll catch it. Especially if you can kill it and it can stay upright. If you can use something that's a little bit unweighted, and so you can burn it, and then when it stops, it almost suspends for a second, and that's when they'll flush it. Yeah, yeah, I could see like a fluke being almost like killer, yeah. just like hitting it as hard as you could. You can burn a fluke, like just straight burn it, and it'll just vibrate and you get it redried. Yeah, it'll just, it'll like, even almost like S-glide too, right? Yeah, it'll do a little bit of that and it'll like the tail will get going. It'll just burn straight. When you stop, it'll just turn and kick to one side and like they usually can't handle that. It's awesome. How much, how much do you pay attention to uh, the barometer? during this time of year um not that much um you know i i do with different species and different stuff in bite times but I, there's it's there's never a time where i'm like oh the, the fishing barometer is no good i'm not gonna go i go fishing daylight till dark no matter what and i have to get bites so um the only time I take a look at it is when I'm in a tournament and I'm like, and you have peak bite times, you know, through those moon phases. And I'm like, when I have a spot, I don't want to be driving in that half hour window where it's like a peak bite time um, of like a moon phase or the barometer or whatever. I just, you know, but I just, I, if you look at that too much, you'll only go fishing when it's you know the barometer's good and rising. It's going to be a good bite, and so I don't. I just go out there and fish, and then sometimes when they're biting really good, I'll look at it and just check to see like, ah, oh, that's why it's yeah. doing this, you know, just to double check. But um, the the moon phase bite times is definitely a thing, and that and that's one of the things that I'll look at during a tournament. It's just like, okay, that's the window I want to be on my main spot where I think I can get my biggest oh. bites. Oh, that's super intriguing. So I am clueless on the moon phase, you know, obviously beyond like spawn and stuff like that. Like around the around like the rest of the year when they're not spawning, that is something I I've trying to take into account, but confuses the hell out of me. Whereas like I look at pressure. 
as like I do when I'm hunting whitetail. Like yeah, when I, when I yeah, see a pressure drop, it might be in the tree stand. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I just look at whether like usually it's like when the yeah when the when it's when it's moving when that pressure's moving they're going to be moving kind of thing. That's basically right. like and when you you sort of you just know I can I know without looking at it like when you get a post front and it's like high clear skies the next day and a bit cold you're like it's gonna suck like no wind <laughs> you're like this is gonna be tough without even having to look at it but over the over the barometer those those moon phase peak bite windows are pretty extremely accurate um and they, they are definitely worth looking at you can get an almanac you can get a moon phase you can get an app there's apps that do it and uh when when it's when you're struggling and you need a bite, um, that's that's something that you want to take a look at because generally within that half an hour of that window, they're going to have a little feeding set, session. So is is that where you're using as your resources? Is like an application that will that tell you like the specific windows or yeah. how are you? Okay, yeah, it'll tell you windows. Yeah, it'll okay. tell you. Those that's windows. super interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's all off the moon, you know, it's off the moon phase, basically. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in Australia, on this is what's weird, and it's generally to do with the same thing, but on tide changes in the ocean will have an effect on lake fish that aren't far from the ocean. They'll be landlocked lake, and a, they will bite on that lake on that tide change, but that tide change usually lines up with, like, a bite period. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a whole another. <laughs> that's yeah. like a whole episode in itself, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that whole concept. Yeah. Um, so one thing that happens up here, and I'm curious if you've noticed it where you're at, or just even when you're just fishing in the fall uh, in general, is the colder our water temps get, the more our fish push to vertical cover, whether it's like standing timber docks or like the sharpest of breaks that you can find on some of the main lake points, like. You're looking for the steepest breaks. Am I correct there, Andy? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Have you found that as well, Carl? Yeah, down here, that's, you know, that's the wintertime pattern, you know, like vertical, steep, um, and just bluff walls and standing timber and suspended fish. You know, that's why the A-rig shines so much in the colder weather is because you're able to run it past fish that are, are hard to get a bait in front of you know over the fact that there was lots of baits on it and that they would react and eat it it was mainly because that bait would just cover so much water from like up shallow to down deep and then all the way past and eventually you were going to pass it past a suspended fish in 18 feet of water that's extremely hard to get a bait in front of in the first place and so that vertical cover, the colder it gets, those fish are going to suspend and sit on it. And that way they can just, they can move, you know. I learned that a long, I actually learned that years ago, like a long time ago when I first got here. My jig deal that I do and I've caught so many fish on, on bluff walls and riprap, um, I was catching them and I was confident in it, but I didn't know why. And I actually ran into a scuba diver on Table Rock and he told me that, he was like, there's all, he just told me there's always fish on bluff walls at, or at every time of the year. And I like the way he explained it, I was like, just started like questioning him. And he was like, they're, they're, they use the bluff walls as highways to get to places at like 
all year long. And he said, no matter which, no matter what time of the year, they're just at different depths. And he said, like, he will see the same bass on the same bluff wall on different depths all day long. And it will just come up the bluff wall and it'll turn around and just go back. And it'll like sit on the point when it wants to feed. And then it'll just come up and be sitting there. And just the way he explained it to me, it just clicked with me. And I was like, I, I like my go-to anywhere when I don't know, I go to Bluff Falls because I just know there's like there's going to be there's there's a population of fish that live on Bluff Falls pretty much all year round. That's awesome. Has Bluff Falls are mad fun to fish too. It's What's so that? simple to. I said Bluff Falls are just mad fun to fish in general because it makes it. It's like dock fishing to an extent it's, where it's, it's like. A little, it's, yeah, I think dock, I think bluffs are kind of like confusing to people. They're a little bit tough to fish just because it's kind of hard to get your bait in front of a fish a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Um, the A-rig was a killer on bluff falls, you know, because of that reason you could throw it out, sink it down, wind it back from 20 up to five and you would get a bite somewhere along there. So yeah. jig fishing's a little bit more methodical. You've got yeah. to sort of sit out from it, throw up and like let it sink and then try and count. And if you get a bite, try and replicate that count. So your jig's getting, you know, to that fish each time. But um, for anyone that's like going to a new lake and struggling, a jig and a jerk bait and an A-rig on a bluff wall is a pretty good way to get a bite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I try to relate it to dock fishing, it's like if you're going to go out fishing, you fish – uh, bluffs or docks all day long you're going to get bit now they both have their intricacies where like if you do the small things right you're gonna you're really gonna capitalize yeah bite um but that's one thing i learned at chick a few years back uh one of my favorite bites that i've found is now every time i'm down there i do it regardless of time of year even if i don't get bit just to try it is uh throwing a glide bait like right, right. next to the bluff wall yeah yeah. I, I had I had one five pounder go headbutt the bluff wall to like knock my shine glide into the wall, and after yeah. that, it's become, I've become addicted to it just for that reason, just because watching that. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, bluff walls are. I feel like that's one one thing we do not have here, Andy. Um, at least if it's very very small on the lakes that we do. So that's one that's like super interesting. And you made a good point, Carl. Like for bluff walls, like someone that's brand new to it, it's kind of like daunting so you're like it's just one there's straight vertical structure it's like yeah. how do i fish it you know what i mean it's uh i feel like a lot of it's boat positioning would you agree yeah. yeah there's like a few different ways to fish it you can either you know the best way is if you haven't got anyone with you and you can you can parallel it because at least you can cover some ground that way you can cover um a decent amount of water and you can keep your bait sort of in position but that's not always the best sometimes they're sitting out off that bluff and your boat will be almost over those fish or getting over the top of them so um my go-to is keeping the boat out off the off that bluff and making casts up towards the bluff wall and uh, and working it but you have to know there's um there's fish there to be able to do that but what you said like one of my favorites is fish a glide bait and just paralleling it throwing it up along that um, bank and either rolling like a mag draft um, style paddle tail or a glide and just covering that letting it sink and fishing a few different depths and um, you know my about the second uh, third biggest fish I've caught on chick we came out in the middle of summer and uh, we were just going fun fishing I had uh, Nick um, with that he just won the um, uh, the angle of the year um, 
and he um Hatfield, you know, just and he came out with me and he wanted to learn the glide bait deal. And I was like, it's no good, but we'll go ledge fishing. And he was gonna, we were gonna, you know, just learn from each other. And I said, I'll just show you what I do with the glide. And we went up to a bluff wall point in the middle of summer, and I fished the glide, and I'm just showing him how to do it. And I said, sometimes they'll follow it up. And as I'm explaining it, a nine six <laughs> came up underneath it and just got real close to it. And I did the short sharp twitch, and she ate it, and he grabbed oh my it. Gosh. This doesn't always happen, but he was like, I'm hooked. <laughs> I was like, either ruin your fishing forever or are you going to just use it? But that's the sort of thing that can happen on a bluff wall. You get a little bit of current, you get some um, water flow, and they'll go on position on a good spot on a bluff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that happens. You're like, yeah, usually you don't get bit doing this at all at 9-6. You're like, huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, your bluff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, say someone is, uh, you know, works a nine to five, Monday through Friday, only has that Saturday, Sunday to fish. Uh, and like we were talking about a little bit in the introduction, is that this time of year, if you get bluebird calm, calm conditions, it's going to be tough. Uh, whereas in the summertime, you have those conditions, you can, you can go frog, you can flip, you can do different things to still catch fish, but usually the uglier the conditions, the better the fishing is going to be, but say yeah. someone is forced to have those conditions where it's bluebird skies, calm, those are their only days to fish. What would your approach be on the lake to try to, you know, if, when things are going to be tough, is it going to be kind of slow and dragging, or are you still kind of taking the same approach as we've been discussing? It depends whether you got grass or not. That's that's your t- your biggest thing, you know. If you've got grass, um, you want to go to the thickest, heaviest grass you can and punch it, flip it, or frog it, um, because they'll still they're not relying on wind and overcast and good conditions when they're in that thick grass. You can that's when you want to go and those cold. Um, real cold post front conditions is where they get into the tightest grass they can and you can actually have some of the best days fishing you can ever have because they'll actually group up on a on a thick piece of grass or a thick clump um, they won't be as scattered um, if you if you're forced to fish open water um, you're going back to the little paddle tail and a jerk bait they're going to be your two go-tos <clears throat> when you get a cold high skies no wind um, you're going to have to force force them to bite and generally slowing down with something like a jerk bait. If the clearer the water, the clearer the colour you want, you know, the more transparent colour you want. So um, you don't want that bait to stand out at all. You want them to barely be able to see it, like mirror, see-through style colours when it comes to the paddle tail and it comes. And when it comes to a paddle tail, you don't want something that's too aggressive. You don't want something where it's like the paddle tail's gone and the body's rolling. You want something that's like barely moving. Um, that's a big key when it, it gets it, when they get tough like that. They don't want um, crazy react, crazy erratic action. It's the same with the jerk bait. You start going crazy and ripping and moving it too fast they're not going to touch it it's like light little twitches and letting it suspend and just barely moving it it's like the tougher it is the subtle and clearer you go when they're biting you want them to find the bait and eat it when they're biting you need them to find that thing as quick as possible and eat it that's what they're going to do you're fishing something that's super subtle 
when they're biting, they can't find it quick enough and you're fishing too slow and too subtle and then it's not going to get in front of a fish. So, like, when conditions are good, brighter colours, more um, vibrant vibrant colours, vibrant action, um, more erratic, more speed so they can chase it and get it covering water and then the tougher the conditions, you're slowing down, you're using everything subtle and you're trying to, like, force them to bite something, you know, a lot yeah. less because they're not going to chase something down hard that's vibrating and has a crazy action. You're going to be working for them. Yeah. And then when you're flipping in grass, you're not flipping, 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 couple hops and going. You're trying to, again, you're slowing down. You're trying to get them to bite. So when you're flipping in there, you're, you're, you're twitching it, you're moving it up, you're holding it there, you're shaking it, you're fishing a, a cast for a pretty good period of, a period of time. When they're biting... You're flipping in there. If they don't get it on the way down, you got it out of there and trying to put it on the next fish that's going to bite because you know when right. sink one's going to come and get it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a really good point. Heck, yeah. Andy, you got anything for Carl before we start getting to some fan questions here? No, I, I was going to ask a jerkbait question, but then you answered it. So, I mean, <laughs> took it right out of me. Like, I was going to ask you to use more of a translucent jerkbait, but the, uh, the answer is obviously yes when it's bright and sunny skies so as i'm a horrible jerkbait fisherman so i like to learn as much as i can as well <laughs> I've learned, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best either but i've learned a lot over the last few years and um it's um yeah it's not it's not it's definitely not that thing that you just pick up and you like twitch and pause twitch and pause it's the same thing um and you know now with a jerkbait you really need to be looking at your life's sonar with you know mega i've got mega live like that's changed everything that's how you're going to see what the fish is doing how close it's getting to the bait how it's reacting when you're twitching it and that's it. that's how i've learned more about a jerk bait in the last two years having live because you see how deep the jerk bait's actually getting you're seeing whether it's moving up or sinking and then you're seeing the way the fish is whether the fish is getting right when the fish starts getting right on it you're doing the right thing when it stays way away from it and then the bait sinks and he moves away you know okay it's sinking change let the bait float let the bait suspend and all of a sudden you get that reaction of that fish they get close and you get a bite it's all putting all those things together where in the past you were kind of just guessing and you didn't really know if a fish following it are they getting close like Imagine how many times people have fished a jerk bait and fish have gotten right on it and they just need to pause for like another five seconds and they get a bite and then you just start twitching it all the way back. Yeah. So getting good with your live sonar when it comes to jerk bait fishing is one of the biggest things. That'll teach you more about jerk bait fishing than anything. That's a really good point. Yeah. Now you got that, Andy. So now you can start getting better at using jerk bait. Oh, I, I just had to get away from deep water smallies first. They're too easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come up from 20 foot and hit it. You're like, I'm a pretty good jerk bait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. It was like one of the first days I had Mega Live on my boat and I threw an A rig and I just watched like eight of them come up from the abyss and just track mm. it all the way to the boat. And I'm just like, this is dumb. Like, yeah. I can't do this. Like, pretty cool. Ruin sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just, uh, now you're going to go down the rabbit hole of what more ways can I start using this forward facing oh. in ways like, in styles of, like, you're like, oh, I'm going to go throw top water. I don't need forward facing where 
state championship, I'm watching them rock it up from the bottom to eat my top water. And now yeah. you're hooked. You're like, top water just got better because you're yeah. watching them come up. So it's, it's yeah. tidbit on Mega Live in the tournament I fished on Sunday. My big largemouth I caught was on a spinnerbait off of a stump. And I seen him come out from the stump as my spinnerbait was coming and eat it. And I'm like, oh, okay. that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Anyone that says anything bad about live hasn't used it like that. It's like <laughs> yeah, one of the most right. <laughs> fun things you'll ever do. Like, I get it when you think about it, but I'm like, this is so much fun. Like, you just, you're seeing it as well. Like, yeah. it's getting yeah. everything. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Like, right? when you get on a live bite and you sort of are dialed in on it and you're seeing it, that is it's up there with some of the best funnest times you'll have. Oh, you're, yeah, yeah. you're giggling like a little kid. I mean, like yeah, the first I know, time I've, I've, had, I've had people on my boat, including Kayla, that generally I'll be fishing and I'm like, hey, cast this, try this. And they get on the boat and they start seeing what I'm showing, you know, with the live. And like, I can't, I'm like, give me my trolling motor back. And they're like, they're like, it's fun for them, you know, someone, especially yeah. kids or and younger guys that are coming up. If you're trying to get someone into fishing, especially a kid that's a bit more technology or is a bit more used to computer game stuff, they love it because it's so interactive and it's not just fishing and guessing and hoping they're going to get a bite. And right. Kayla loves it. He's waving it around, she wants to find a fish, and when she finds one, it's like hunting it. She's like trying to get it, trying to put the right cast in. That was too short. Just watching dozens swim off and not eat them and realizing like, oh, it's not just a silver bullet. You still got to get them to uh, buy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the craziest things to me was like the muscle memory of like figuring out how far 10, 20, 30, 70 yeah. feet is. You're yeah. just like, now I can just look down and flick it on like, oh, perfect. Without even yeah, like looking on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, this is... the yeah. muscle memory comes so fast if you're doing it so much. Yeah. Yeah. So, Carl, we have one last question for you for the show, but we're going to hit a couple fan questions real fast. Don't rush. I got, I got time. Oh, perfect. Okay. So we have – first question is from South Jersey Fisherman, and he's asking about when you're throwing big baits, do you have a secondary bait when they're fouling it up and they won't eat it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it depends what that fish does, how far out it follows it, what it does when it doesn't eat it. Um it's pretty hard to beat like a stick bait, you know. I just it's hard to it's hard to not, you know, just throw I, I have the X Zone center stick and I'll have like a green pumpkin or a black on wacky rig ready to go and have it on the end of your t- on end of your rod. Um depending how aggressive they're getting and what they do with that bait, I'll generally throw the glide back to them and and annoy them even more with it. Um, and try and get actually get them just to eat the glide. And a lot of the times I'm able to actually do that, but it's pretty hard to beat a stick bait. Just have that on the end, have it wacky rig. And if they, wherever they're heading back to, lead them before they get there. So if, you, if they come up slow, they look at it, they turn, you've got them to come off a dock or a lay down, try and get that stick bait in there before they make it back. So you're not like throwing it up on top of their head. They're almost running into it. And that's when you'll catch them. If they're, if it's sinking and they're coming back to their home and it's already down in where they're at, that's when you'll get them to bite. Ooh, 
That's a little juicy tidbit. Uh, David Jong's asking if you've tried the figure eight technique by the boat. Oh yeah, caught lots of bass on the glide. You need to get good at you need to get good at that um, because it'll produce a lot of fish and a lot of bites. Um, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Chickamauga here in the elite event, I caught a five five and I figure eighted it off my rod tip during an elite event. It's all on camera. Bud got the whole thing start to finish. It's on my GoPro, the whole lot. And pretty much I was working it out. Um, the fish followed it, boiled on it and turned and I paused and it was probably five feet from the boat, a couple more erratic, um, erratic twitches. It came back, boiled on it again. Then I ran out of line. I had like a foot and a half out. And so I literally just with my rod tip was just doing these like short, sharp twitches and I was actually a, – a, a key thing is, like, kind of stir the water with your rod tip. Don't be scared to, like, start to, like, foam the water up almost or twitch it because it actually sounds like bait spraying as you're doing it. You can make a little bit of disturbance. And they get, like, almost like a shark. They get frenzied. And then they're just trying to get it then, and it's just erratic. And they're not used to a bait turning around and facing and coming back the other way. Like a, a lure always is heading the one direction and it's always heading away from them. So when it stays there and it goes back, it's one of the best ways to catch a bass. Like if you see one and it swims off, don't think that it's gone. Um, you can go back. I actually posted that fish and you hear me going, oh, oh and it, I see it boiling and it's actually swimming away. And then, I'm figure eighting and I see it again and it swims away hard like it's spooked and I continue to do the figure eight and then it just like appears from nowhere and eats the thing. <laughs> how much do you think it being right next to the boat is a factor? Because we always hear about how fish eat right at the boat because they think that like the boat acts like a wall, like a, a place to pin the fish. Do you think that's the, like a big factor in that being successful? I don't know if it's the boat. I think it's more like it's just getting away, like it's coming, it's coming, and now it's like near the surface and almost looks like it's their last chance to kind of get it. Um, but the, one of the biggest things that I have on when I glide bait fish is my hydrowave. And um, if, if you've never you know, had a hydrowave on, like I don't glide bait fish without it because oh, – okay. When it gets in close like that and then it, they hear boofing fish and bait fish scattering and they get close, it, it masks your presence as the boat. The fish act way more natural when you've got it on. And then it's just like a, it stops them second guessing. They're looking at it. They're looking at it. Now they've heard bait fish scattering a couple boofs and this thing's like twitching around them. It like stops them that second guess and they end up committing. Dang, okay. There's another little tidbit. Little, the most powerful thing that a hydrowave does is glide bait fishing. That's one of the most powerful things that it's good at. Andy, we're getting a lot of juice tonight. Yeah. Sounds I have, like I have I a bunch hydrowave, equipment. even though I never glide bait fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm going to go spend thousands of dollars on glide baits. And- Dude, yeah. that, is, that is one thing I'll, I wish I could show you. I have my notepad right here, and I have for the different YouTube videos that I want to do. One of the videos I have is to show on – to use forward-facing sonar, and I have a hydrowave on the way, and it's to see if there's any sort of difference in behavior when you have a school of fish under you, when you yeah. turn that thing on to see if they act different. Yeah. Have you tried that yet? Like, has it? Have you seen a difference? Oh, yeah. Like, I've ha- I have hundreds of stories of things that just happen, you know, when you have it on. And it's not – it's not – 
the thing with the Hydra Wave is what people mistake for. It's not something you can just turn on, press play, and go. Like it can it, it can hurt you in a way where it can actually pull fish off of a brush pile towards you. It can break bait up and can do things. So like it's like anything else. You have to be careful with it. And a lot of people turn it all the way up and have it way too loud. It's like subtle and it's like not on and then it's on. I have it on um, the it's like a looping and it's off for 30 seconds and then it's on um, when, especially if my boat's in one position, I'd never have it on a continual play when my boat's in the one position, I want it to like be off for a while and then, and then come on with that sound. If I'm moving down the bank and I'm fishing a glide, I have it on continuous then and I have it quiet. It's subtle, like water, like the sound travels through water so much more. They hear everything. So subtle, is usually better and then there's different sounds that they like there's one called bait blitz and i pr pretty much have it on that 90 percent of the time bait blitz well there you go if you got a hydro wave you're getting some juice right now but one thing you'll see that even if it doesn't come to fishing if you put the hydro wave on and turn it on loons will swim around the front of your boat looking for what looking <laughs> for the cool. fish. like that happens all the time They'll swim and they'll literally look at your trolling motor like, how is their fish bait fish noises coming from that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Where are they? Happy. I hear them. <laughs> yeah. They're the greatest hunters that there is. Um, one of the very first times that we had it when I started using it um, on Sinclair, musky, these giant musky, this is, one, uh, this is one of the things that I wish TH or Hydrowave would push way more is because musky literally were swimming up, looking at my trolling motor and then swimming off. 20 minutes later, like giant ones. And they would just swim up, look at my boat and then swim away. And I'm like, it's the Hydrowave because that it works That's on nice. big predatory fish. That's where it works best. Like it works on hard predator fish. So it works on bass when they're in a like – a hard feeding kill kind of mode, but the bigger, more predator fish, that's what it works on. In Australia, it's killer on the barramundi because they're just so honed in on just killing stuff and eating bait fish that the bait rises and they rise and it, they they come around your boat. We've seen it, you know, so many times. That's it's pretty sick. cool. Yeah, yeah, well, if it's anything like forward-facing sonar, the musky trail will ban it so you can't use anything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would like to know whether, like, guys on the musky trail are onto that or not. Debbie, we they just had on uh, Matt Thompson from uh, – he's from Minnesota. We had him on last week. He fishes the Champions Tour up there. So get this statistic. He's fished 15 events for the Champions Tour. Out of 10 events, he's won Big Bass. He was a musky fisherman a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, really? But, yeah, it was a super cool interview, actually. Like, he – it's it's like his mind is so set like i've talked to guys that were saying you got to have him on the show got to have him on the show and they're saying like he's like one of the best musky fishermen in the state and it's like because he's so focused on that how the apex fish behaves yeah and it, it was a pretty cool episode like that's cool. kind of dive but into it was funny the baits that he was catching him on it was a ned rig and a hair jake like, <laughs> from, like yeah from my figure yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, like, awesome. what the heck <laughs> Yeah. So, dude, uh, Andy, you got anything left for Carl before we hit him with the last question? Yeah, go ahead and hit him with the last question. Thanks for uh, allowing us to extend the time a little bit, first and foremost, after your long drive home. Yeah. So you're not you got to be exhausted. Yeah. 
Especially when I tell us to shut up. It's time, for, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, well, I'm on, I'm on uh, Pacific time. That's probably why I'm not. Uh, so you're yeah. ready to party. Is what it's like so. 5 o'clock in the afternoon there or something. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So our last question for everybody that's new to the show, we ask everyone this, is if you could sit down with three different individuals, um, doesn't have to be fishing. They could be, they could be alive a thousand years ago or alive now. It doesn't matter. Um, if you could have three different individuals sit down, have a steak and a beer, and pick their brain, who would you invite? Uh, this is always a tough one. I've never really thought about it. It'd probably like there'd be two different ones. It'd either be three of my mates that <laughs> I'd probably <laughs> just have my best mates with me. Um, that would be who. But if it was famous people. It'd probably be The Rock, Dwayne oh, Johnson. Yeah. It'd be Rogan. And then uh, who else? Who's someone else? It's two powerhouses right now. Yeah. <laughs> pretty. It'd be someone in hunting probably or fishing. Someone in hunting. Oh, and I can't even think. Who else do I follow? Uh, like Cam Haynes, something like that. That's three pretty obvious ones, but. That'd be yeah. that'd be pretty cool to have them three. <laughs> That's some powerful minds there at that table. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna that'd need be, a lot yeah. of Terramana tequila instead of beer. <laughs> yeah. Oak back straps. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. The <laughs> that's I mean, right. yeah. Be- I mean, heck yeah, dude. That that's that's actually probably one of my most favorite trios that's ever been on the show. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that'd well, be cool. cool. Heck yeah, man. Well, Carl, dude. We're, uh, we're going to give you some time back in your night. We uh, appreciate you joining on here, especially after the uh, long weeks of travel you've had. Congrats again on the first elk. Um, that is something I'm super excited about. Uh, my brother and I always talk about, hey, we're going to do that next year. And then we never do it. Uh, one of these years eventually. But um, for real, <laughs> thank you for taking time out and dropping so many nuggets on, the, on us and the viewers. We uh, severely appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get you back on here real soon. Yep, no, I had fun, guys. Thanks for the uh, having us on, and look forward to the next one. Yeah, take care, man. We'll uh, we'll be talking to you. Take care. Have a yeah, good night. Have a good night. See ya, dude. I'm gonna be clipping a lot tonight. <laughs> trying to edit the show. We're gonna we're, we're gonna be putting good up luck. a lot of different social content from this one. Yeah, dude. I don't know how to pick. Like, I have like five different time slots that I have to go back and look at to to clip because he's dropping so much juice on us. Well, you can always save them for down the road too. So, and true. drive. Very true. You know, yeah. So, don't have to do them all at one time. Hashtag social media. <laughs> yes. Hashtag social media. That's so. one thing that we are trying to step up. If you guys have not noticed, uh, is trying to really ramp up the content game across all of the Serious Angler Podcast Network. Um, so, you guys appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, always following our social medias. If you're not already and you're curious where you can find um serious angler on social media whether it's business from the bass boat serious angler lure lab uh, that is all down below all the links where you guys can go follow along whether instagram facebook twitter all that jazz if you are a, a twitterer a tweeter as they say uh we do have a non-serious the alter ego of serious angler started that on twitter it's kind of more of kind of a, a fun passion uh, endeavor that we're having fun with where uh we are just taking some some funny tweets tweeting at like whiskey Myers and stuff like that. It's, it's a, it's a good time, but uh, appreciate everybody that joining in tonight. We had a lot of, a lot of comments, a lot of good questions. 
So I appreciate you guys doing that. We're going to have a, a good show coming up on Friday with Jeff Gustafson. We're going to be diving deep into moping and Tamiki rigging, like really getting into the nitty gritties because Ooh. that is one bait that I have had on deck actually all year because it's one that I'm weird, man. Like I love, I love frogging and I love power fishing, but for some reason I am most comfortable and I enjoy most having a spinning rod in my hand and like really finessing them. Uh, and dude, I caught a lot of really good fish, like four, four and a half plus pounders, uh, on a Tamiki rig this year in the summer, like the heat of summer, yeah. like it, it was one that kind of opened my eyes because they always say it's a, it's a cold water technique. That's all it is. It's a cold water technique, but I, I think that's, it's the opposite. So, uh, we're going to be really diving into that with Jeff, uh, on Friday's episode, but, uh, Andy, it's fall. It's cold. The smallmouth are eating everything that moves and doesn't move. When, yes uh, when no. can people come up and fish with you? Oh, man. Um, I have two days next week, and then November's looking dicey. Uh, the Farmer's Almanac has it becoming very cold. So the more people that book trips, the longer I'll keep my boat out. But, I mean, I got friends with boats that keep them out pretty much all winter. So my boat might go away like the second week of November, I'm thinking right now. Can, can you keep it until until New Year's again? Yeah. Let's go put it in Jeff's. Jeff, Jeff will keep you, let you keep it in his barn. Uh, I think Brad puts his boat in there. So, like, there's not much. Tell Brad to move along. You can tell Brad. He's always been doing it for, like, 15 years. I know. I know. <laughs> it, it was funny, like. Speaking of which, Brad is going to Pickwick for the Bass Nation National Championship for the Fed in Pickwick in November. And he's like, I think this is the latest I will ever put my boat away. Because he's like, I could just go out with Jeff and I'm deer hunting. So, like, very true. love Jeff. Good dude. But We got yeah. Rich from uh, Hello Bass in the chat. Rich, aren't you going to the National Championship? Am I mistaken? Dude, Rich, don't even call me a quitter right now. I have almost 50 hours on my boat in one month. I wonder how many hours you have on yours in a full year. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Triggered. He's triggered. <laughs> yes. I um, I think I've been on the water seven of the last eight days, and I have like 10 more straight to go. So it's... um. I swear to God, if you keep starting to sound like you're complaining, I'm going to... I'm going to take you out, and it's just going to be me talking up here. And people don't want just me. <laughs> I'm not complaining one bit. I, um, Between what I was telling you about earlier, I have a devilish cat who likes to keep us up all night. And then my daughter's three, and she likes to wake up randomly in the middle of the night and want to eat a snack or pee or something, and that takes forever. And I ultimately end up getting no sleep going to bed at midnight and waking up at 4.30-ish. So it's it's pretty good. You know my favorite saying? My fiance hates it, but I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's, he's like, ah. <laughs> We're all going to die someday. <laughs> That's right. Might as well enjoy the time we're awake. <laughs> uh, we got Elvis in the chat here. Can we get any advice on Pickwick? I have never fished Pickwick. So I don't know if I can get you. Well, any it, it depends on water temps, but um, based off of this, Carl would say go find bluff walls. So if there's bluff <laughs> walls on Pickwick, I would go find a bluff wall. No, um, I'm sure there's grass at Pickwick, and it's the fall. Fish like to get in grass. I would just maybe pick up like a punching stick or try to parallel some grass somewhere and start there. 
There hey, go. there we go. Go to, nice go to Rich's Rich. channel. He's been to Pickwick. Uh, yeah, perfect timing too. Uh, well, month before, but still. I would obviously make sure you're paying attention to the TVA app. If you don't have the TVA app, make sure you have that downloaded. Paying attention to water levels and all that jazz because that's obviously that plays a huge, huge role on the TVA. Um, but dude, I mean, spin it like Andy said, get up, find some more vertical stuff. But I think um, this time of year, you can't get go wrong with spinner bait, a rig, swim baits, top water, um, especially big top water right now. Uh, if you can take advantage of that, especially if the water's moving. That's what would be my recommendation. But again, I've never fished it, so don't take my word. Uh, I would take it with a very, very heavy grain of salt. Uh, just go out and fish, man. That's all I can tell you. Tell you. Go, go yeah. read the conditions. And and don't but, worry uh, about what everyone else is doing. Just fish your strengths and figure out how to catch them that way. That's right. Heck yeah. Fish how you want to fish. Fish how you're comfortable. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so before we sign off here, uh, again, for folks tuning in, uh, if you have not already, check out our new show on the Sears Angle Podcast Network called The Lure Lab. Uh, all the links are down below in the description to social media, to where you can watch on MP3, or <laughs> so you can listen on MP3, uh, watch on YouTube. Make sure you guys go follow those pages, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's going to be one that's once a week. It's going to be once a week for 10, 15 minutes on a specific bait or technique, uh, the who, what, where's, and why's of it, the rod setups, uh, the nitty gritties. We dive into Saturday mornings. Every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. Let us know if you guys like those times. We try to position that as one to not get in the way of anybody else's show that because we all know there's a lot of fishing podcasts out this week, but one that's, uh, you know, early on Saturday morning. So you can get up, have your coffee, listen to a quick 15, 20 minute show or listen on the way to the ramp, that sort of thing. Uh, But either way, it's one we're excited about. It's it's a lot of fun so far making those uh, episodes for you guys. And uh, Andy, the one coming up for this Saturday is top water. Topwater walking baits. Topwater walking baits. Yes. Yeah. So kind of ending of here in the Northeast relatively quick because it got cold really fast at night, but um, really relevant for a lot of other places in the country. So I would definitely tune into that one. Uh, some mods, things we do, monofloro, not monofloro, mono braid, et cetera, rod setups. It's a good episode. Heck Yeah. And a couple big things for folks. So obviously next show is going to be Mr. Jeff Gustafson this Friday. But uh, if you guys are looking for some more YouTube content, Andy and I's both of our YouTube channels are down below. I have a bunch of tournament videos coming up as well as our buddy, Mr. Greg Blanchard. If you're in kayak fishing, you know who Greg is, is coming back home to New York and we're going out fishing Saturday. Going to film that. Um, And then next week, I'm actually headed to Alabama for a pretty cool X2 shindig. Uh, you guys will see some bunch of content coming from that. That is, uh, I can't tell you right now, but I will say there's going to be a bonus show coming because we're going to have, uh, we're going to have Justin Atkins. We're going to have Wes Logan, Justin Hamner and Hunter Shryock on for a bonus show. It's going to be all of us sitting around a campfire uh, as well as Mr. Alex Rudd is going to be in on that too. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's all I can say right now, but we have a bonus show coming your guys' way. Hope you guys are looking forward to it. But uh, Andy, anything else for the folks before we sign off tonight? Oh, I'm just keep fishing and always tag us in your post because we like to see what everyone is doing and catching them. So I get excited when I see those. Yeah. Oh, I'll say one quick shout out. 
uh, not really a shout out, but one resource that I think you guys should use because a lot this is the time of year where especially us in the north are some people are starting to put some things away for next year. Um, one thing that's very important that we're going to try to do some segments on, not full shows, but segments for folks that are interested, uh, is taking care of your batteries this time of year, especially throughout the winter. And as you plan for next season, one thing that's really cool that X2 Power has going on over at their website is a battery calculator. It's like you guys can go there and you're curious what you need to power your kayak, your boat, your RV. You can go to this battery calculator. The link to X2 is down below. And you can go and punch in like I have these many Helix units. I have this trolling motor. This is how long I usually run it for on this level. I have these live wells, these lights. It, it's it's very intricate. So you can really get it down to like basically the dime on what you need. And it'll tell you from an AGM standpoint and a lithium standpoint what batteries you need or what batteries you can get and how long it'll run your stuff for. So that's what's really cool that they got going on because no one else is doing that. There's not another resource like it. Uh, so make sure you guys use that. We'll post more about that on social. But uh, just letting you guys know, again, that link is down in the description. But, folks, we appreciate you. It was a really good show tonight. Thank you again to Mr. Carl Jacobson for joining us. We'll see you guys on Friday. <laughs>